Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people about how they do their thing. And this week, my guest is Christine Aller. She is a change strategist. She helps people who want to make a shift in their life do that. Um, I met her through this really cool marketing seminar at the Actors Fund. And I was so impressed with her that I uh, was like, do you want to do my podcast? And we made it happen. And I'm doing this recording in my car, which is why you hear like Prius creaking and winding down. But um, I wanted to get these openings recorded sooner rather than later. So here we are in my car. It's not important. You don't care. Um, Before we get to Christine's interview, uh, I want to get a word in for my sponsor, Lifecast by Dennis Hensley. That's my new company. It's where I interview people like a podcast about their lives. So say your parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary or... You just retired from a job and you want to capture how you're feeling, what you experienced. It's a great way to get a legacy item that you can share with loved ones and listen back to yourself that's only as far away as your phone. So you can learn about it at getalifecast.com. And if you book uh, a Lifecast before January 1st, you will save a nice little chunk. So there's that. Check it out at getalifecast.com. Um, without any further ado, then here is Christine Aller. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the beautiful Glendale apartment of my guest today. It's Christine Aller. She's a, uh, I almost said strange because <laughs> the, because the way the words are, it's, she's a change strategist as a, as a, as opposed to a strange chat of this or anyway. Although I think that might apply. Uh, yeah, you could, you could be all of that stuff. Um, I met you at, uh, you came and spoke to a group at the Actors Fund about marketing ideas. There were a lot of like entrepreneur types in there. And what struck me about you is you have ideas. Like you're, you seem like someone that's, I could see it in your eyes. And like, when I mentioned a question about my business, you had like 10 ideas. Are you, have you always been like idea person? Um, yes, it's, it's not. Okay. When someone describes like an idea person, right. what people usually think of is like, innovators like right. oh this is an idea no one's ever had before that's right. not what i do but what my brain is very wired to pattern recognition and looking at things from multiple angles and putting separate things kind of together right so it's just all my life experience when someone's talking about something i can be like oh you could do this and this and this and this and then all it takes is someone to start talking and my brain starts putting things together. And you can see it happen if you're sitting in front of you. <laughs> and that's really, it was really exciting. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's great. That, you know, like, so that's really cool. It must help you a lot as a strange, no, it's strategist. wrong. No, uh, I like it. I, I'm literally, <laughs> my strategist. is going in a new direction. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're open to strangeness. Um, <laughs> my husband is going to approve of that. Really? She likes it? Yeah, he likes he's, it? He's totally going to right on. Yeah, take care of that, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so how do you describe to people what you do if you just were to meet them in an elevator or something? I always ask the people who work with me, so how do you describe what it is I do? Because, yeah. And it's actually that thing has been what's plagued me personally in this right. aspect of my career because I have a breadth and a depth of knowledge. So with each client, I can go in many different directions, inner work, outer work, work on their careers and developing a business or shifting a business or growing it or um, ending it or starting it, deep stuff, surface stuff. So I don't have a formula that people get plugged into. Uh, I don't have 10 steps. 
Right. It's just the person in front of me and then whatever they sort of need. They want to make some kind of a change. Yes. Whether it be professional (laughs) or personal. Yeah. So basically like in the elevator pitch. Yeah. Um, I help people shift Mm -hmm. to either the next level or something new or any kind of change they want to make in their life. Because oftentimes, especially in midlife, your life is already complex. Yeah. This concept of making a change can seem daunting. And just one of the things is I'm undaunted by complexity. It just doesn't scare me. And I'm usually able to to guide. To see your way through it. Yeah. Now, you grew up in L.A., right? Yeah, L.A. native. There must be something about the people that come here, dreamers, people mm-hmm. that want to do things, that they need people like you to help them because it's not like, oh, I know I'm going to be this for the rest of my life and things are going to just fall into place. Um, so what is it about L.A. that you think, and, and then having a place full of people with dreams, what's good and bad about that? The good things is, um, is that... It's full of people who are ambitious. You know, you don't just kind of live in LA. You come here for a reason. Right. And then That's if true. you don't like it anymore, you yeah. leave. Usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people with ambition, people who are open to getting help. Because I remember when I started my business as a professional organizer, um, my mom's Irish. And so I have 42 first cousins alone in Ireland because she was 12 of 13. Her oldest sister had 18 children. Wow. And they were like, you would never have this business in Ireland. Back in the day, it might have changed because they're so private. They wouldn't let someone into someone their house their to stuff. look at their underwear and right. <laughs> move it all around. Like they were just like, no. So I think in Los Angeles, there's an open quality. There's a like, here, I want to be seen. The people here want to be seen so they're not... Usually, you know, uh, while they're might fiercely, shame, they're not fiercely well, private. Yeah, they're not fiercely private. So there's that accessibility, um, and they want to expand, and so it's really a really rich uh, pool of clientele and open-minded and and willing to experiment and try things. Yeah. Um, without a lot of the baggage of like, oh, but. Well, people are going to think that's woo woo. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm one of those hippies crazy. in California. Right. Yeah, you can dress however you want. They're not juicing now, and it's <laughs> the next thing. And So I love that. Um, the downside is um, people are, have short attention spans in that they're always looking for the next thing that will get them to the next place. Right. And a lot of times, significant change requires a bit of depth and a bit of time. Um, and so retaining the focus and being able to work with people over a longer period of time um, is more rare. But I have had clients that I've worked with for years, sometimes intermittently over the years and sometimes very consistently. And that's when you really get to witness this arc of transformation that is so delicious. That's pretty great. Because people are transitory here too. They're moving, they're doing other things and their attention is being... Yeah, they, they got a lot going on. Yeah, um, you, you've been doing these mastermind groups for seventeen years. Yeah, talk to me about what what those are like. Um, like many things in my life, it wasn't something I planned. I joined this group that no longer exists, unfortunately, called the Actors Network, and it was a group. It grew about to about six hundred actors. Um, physical, it was a place you went to, and when I joined, you had to go at least twice a month, 
and you had to be in what was called a power group, 30 actors where you came for two hours and talked about your past 30 days activity, your goals for the next 30 days, and any issues that have cropped up. And when the founders of that organization decided that they no longer wanted to lead the power group, they picked three people uh, to train to lead. And they saw something in me, and I was like in my mid-20s, and it just sounded like a yes. My intuition was just like, yes. But I did not know that I was entering something that would literally change the trajectory of my life. Um, but So I trained for a year and then started facilitating. I wasn't coaching necessarily. It was just, I was just there to keep the groups moving. Right. But over time, that's where I developed my listening skills, my pattern recognition for what performers were running into trouble with, right. and also learning the question beneath the questions. Yeah. So over time, more and more, I started to coach and the energy in the groups were really good. And in the beginning, I just led one group, and then for a while I had two, then I had three, then I went back to two, then I went back to one, and then I finally left after 11 years. Um, but mine were the only two groups with waiting lists, because people just were like, yeah, you got to get Christine. Yeah, you were the that teacher that everyone wanted. Like, like in third grade, I was yeah. like, we got to get Mr. <laughs> Myers or whatever. Um, right. And then when I left, my thought when I was leaving was like, okay, I think that I've gotten what I needed to get out of that. But a couple people who were in my group were like, what, what, you're leaving? No. How do we continue? We got to continue this. So that wasn't my idea either to start them up as a paid kind of thing, but that organically started and I was just going to do one group. And then a gal who couldn't get into that group was like, well, you have to start another group because I want to be in this. And I was like, well, I'll bring my stuffed animals to fill it out and we'll do, yeah. And so then I had two and then I've had two groups and then I've had other groups beyond those core groups and for a while it was just actors because that was you know a, that was a transition where you come from yeah and now they're called the inspired action mastermind groups and it's creative professionals of all stripes and it's really about helping people tune in to their whispers from their gut and then trusting that and taking action on that and listening to it because I think you can um create your whole career and have a wonderful, satisfying texture of the life you desire just by following those whispers. Oh, that's so interesting. Those, that intuitive thing that we have. Yeah. And even though I'm a, you know, people come to me for plans of action, strategy. Yeah. Any strategy we create is just like, okay, well, until we get directed to something better, here's what we can think of as the best possible thing to do with your time and energy and money while we're waiting for the magic to whisper to us. I love that. That sort of a combination of very practical, throwing things against the wall, trying to, to do smart strategies and also really tapped into somebody's inner voice, I guess that sometimes goes a little dormant and then comes back and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, you, so you were an actor for a long time. I was an actor from birth. I came out of the womb being like, I want to act. Yeah. Um, and my parents were like, you can do whatever you want after college. Right. They were not, they were not having it before college. Two people in Los Angeles, not connected in any way to the industry. You had no connections. My mother had one friend Yeah. who had been an actress herself. And then one of her children was quite a successful actor while we were in like high school. He was in right. Dead Poet Society. And 
And so I had one connection to the industry. So when I came back here after college, I took her out to lunch and I'm like, well, you're my connection. What do I do? But I had always, I literally, and I'm not exaggerating, put agent on my Christmas list almost every single year of my life. I wanted, oh. I wanted to do this. I'm I put it, it on my... I have a vision board. I find like people that look like agents. But I don't know. I, I, may, I may torch that section of it. Anyway. Yeah. But my did, mom was like... Did you ever get one for Christmas, an agent? Oh, gosh, no. My mom was not interested in schlepping me around, of, of turning her life over to the demands of that. She didn't understand it. She didn't know about it. She didn't care about it. Um, and I could do like summer camps and things like right. that. It's probably for the best because I wasn't a cute kid. I don't think I would have done well as a child actor. So when I came back from college... What did you study in college? Well, I got my degree in theater. Right. But, you know, when I went there, I was like, no, I'll be a business major because that's safe. Right. And, like, I, I hated business classes because the first two classes were accounting and economics. Right. And the whole point of those classes was for everyone in the room to get the same answer. And I was just like, well, if we're all getting the same answer, I don't need to be here getting the same answer as all of you. Like, it was so uncreative and not at all what I was good at. I remember taking, there was microeconomics and macroeconomics. And I I found out at the end of one of them that I had been using the wrong textbook (laughs) the entire class. Yeah, but that was the thing. Like you, you, you want. I was in theater. I was in shows. Mm-hmm. I was doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I worked at the radio station, and then I tried. I broadcasting was my pragmatic degree. Oh yes, for a yeah. while I went. I segued from business yeah. to then communications because you know you can have a career in communications. Yeah. And I ended up um, designing costumes for cabaret because I can't sing. So I, I did that in college. <gasps> lots of fish, lots of ratty fishnets for the Kit Kat Club. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Because um, I couldn't sing, so I couldn't be in the show. Right. So I was like, I must be as close to the show as possible. So the work that I did on that was qualified for a thesis for the theater degree. So then I, in the last day of my junior year, I had a meeting with the department and said, can I just transfer and be a major in theater? And they're like, sure. There you go. You yeah. did it. Yeah. Do you still want to act? Is um, it something that you think about? It's after I left. I wasn't sure when I made the transition to going full-time into organizing. Right. And I made that transition because I realized that every time I started to grow my organizing business, the acting stalled. And then every time I started to grow the acting business, the organizing stalled. And neither one was growing to the des- yeah. desire that I wanted something to grow to. And so I was like, well, I went to my agent. So I'm like, I'm just going to take a hiatus for like eight months. I'll come back, see what happens with my organizing career if I give it my full attention. And it exploded in the best way. But I wasn't sure if I was going to, you know, turn on the TV and be like, oh my God. Yeah, that should be me on Grey's Anatomy. Never. I didn't know I wasn't going to miss it. Yeah. I didn't miss it. So the other thing, though, is I channeled a lot of what I got out of acting, which was, you know, changing someone's being affecting them emotionally, having them pay attention to me, I got out of organizing because I was talking and doing all that sort of thing. So a lot of my acting energy was being fulfilled. And then my sister and I filmed silly movies on the side. We would film these movies throughout the year, collect them on a DVD, and give them out as Christmas gifts. Oh, how funny. So a lot of that comedy stuff was channeled. You, in you that had way. an outlet for it. I did, yeah. What made you a good organizer? 
That is a great question because what made me, I think I was one of the best organizers in the country. I would put myself definitely in the top 10% because for me, it was never about moving stuff around. Although I'm very good at that, that comes absolutely naturally. But I think what elevated the service I was providing was the fact that I was always going into the person. It was never for me about like, let's make this look pretty. Right. It was about how does this environment serve the you that you want to be? Right. Because very often people think they're disorganized, but they're actually not. Disorganized is like you have your record collection in your kitchen and in your bathroom. Like it's right. just, everything's all over the place. But what I found is that for most people, they created an environment and then they had transitioned beyond their environment, but their environment had stayed the same. So it was no longer working for them. Yeah. And so it was really about... I relate to that a lot. Getting into the psyche of exactly what I would do with an acting character. Get into the psyche of the person, find out what they needed and wanted, and then transition their environment, not just to support them where they are, but to support them in where they're going to, right. you know? And I think that psychological... Which I didn't know I was doing. It was just what I did naturally. Right. That psychological component paired with, yeah, I can make your space totally functional and looking great and feeling great and, and working great was, you know, really... Not every organizer has that other intuitive component. Yeah. The best ones do. That's cool. Yeah. What was your toughest assignment as an organizer? You walked into somewhere and you went, oh boy. I've been in a few... Uh, homes of hoarders. Right. I've never worked in those homes beyond the initial meeting where I walked into the environment. Right. Because hoarding is not an organizational issue. It's a psychological issue. And yeah. it will not be fixed with organizing. Right. So I always, you know, passed those cases on to organizers who specialized in that. Right. But the person that I worked with that was yeah, talk about someone who comes into your life to teach you a lot. This beautiful woman who had had a lot of challenges in her life and she was living in one room of an apartment. It was a three bedroom, but three women lived there and she right. had a room and everything she owned except for a little bit of the food in the kitchen was in that room. And when I arrived, I couldn't even open the door all the way and she had, it had been like very traumatic circumstances that got her there, but it had been over a year and she still hadn't really unpacked. So it was just boxes and boxes and her mattress was up against the wall and she was sleeping on the floor. Wow. But God bless this person because she was determined to create an environment that worked better for her. And she had skipped scarcity issues. So, you know, we had to pare down a lot of stuff she didn't want to part with. Right. And we worked together for about a year, you know, every couple of weeks. And here's what she taught me. The thing about it is I was charging her a discount on my regular rate 
but it was still $45 an hour at that time. Right. She had a job where she was making $9 an hour, but she was so invested in this process and so understood what she was getting back from it and digging herself out of a physically and mentally out of a lot of stuff that she always had the money. She had it in cat and she was so grateful when she gave it over to me. And this exchange of was so, I hate to use the word pure, but it really resonated with me every single time because it was just two souls really giving a, 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 an equal energetic exchange. Right. You know? It wasn't like somebody was getting too good of a deal and somebody was being taken, nobody was being taken advantage of. No. And here was someone who was really like, I understand what your work is doing for me. Yeah. Contrast that. And that woman is Oprah Winfrey. No. <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, yeah. Hey, um, contrast that. I had a client once who, um, San Marino. Right. Gorgeous house. Gorgeous house. Every time she wrote the check to me, she was like, oh, she would talk, you know, okay, well, that's a lot, you know, just a little. And she never, she, she was the classic case of, I want to want to organize, but I don't really want to organize. Right. She eventually did with one of my, um, associates who worked under me for a while. Um, but when we worked together, she would always kind of disappear and I would just be sitting in the room going, okay, well, I'm, I'm I need your input now and I right. can't find you in this big house. Um, but one day I heard her, you know, after, oh, writing the check and blah, 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 blah. She was on the phone discussing how she was going to move her pool because it just wasn't in the right spot. And I was just like, wow, that's a big lesson. That's a- you know, to contrast that kind of yeah. exchange with, yeah, you know, she she didn't want to do it, so it was always going to be too much, no matter how much I was charging her. Right. But yet they were going to move their pool for aesthetic reasons. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> what did it feel like to to consider before and then look at the after? What was that feel like when you were like mission accomplished and you were you felt like you had done the task? What did that feel like? That's I know when I do little things like that in my life, how good it feels. So Exactly. And the word feeling is exactly right. Because a, a lot of times, especially on television, organizing doesn't really stick on television because it's already always paired with design because television needs it to look gorgeous. Yes. But with organizing, it's not necessarily about how it looks. It's about how it feels. Yes. So for me, it's always... Here's the thing for me, though, is I can see it. I can see the end product already. So it's not like, oh yes, it worked. Of course it's going to work. Right. It's not unfathomable. Right. But for the, but then I don't know if I'm going to get the client there. Right. But the satisfaction for me is when the client is in their own space and, or looking at a drawer and feeling so different about their interaction with the drawer and how the drawer makes them feel or the room makes them feel. And that, that's the end all be all. So good. What's better. It's such a privilege to be employed in ways where that's the service you're providing is for someone to just feel great. Oh, and that's what I loved about acting. I remember my first big musical that I saw was Annie. And I remember how I felt watching it. And I just, I wanted to be on stage so I could make other people 
feel that. Right. So that was always, a, to me, acting was a lot about that. And so I get that out of the stuff I do. So I think that's part of why I don't miss acting. And then yeah. who misses the hustle for work as an actor? No one. No. Yeah. It's so funny you say, Annie, so many actors that I've talked to, especially women, saw that show and, and had that thing of like, I need to be up there. How, how do I get up there? I think it was one of the first shows where there were little, there were girls. You could see yourself on yeah. stage, not just once, but like the whole show's about you. Yeah. It's a very narcissistic, like dream come true. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, but you're orphans, so that's not, yeah, you get a little yeah. d- dirt on your face. Um, if you don't like your parents, that could be a dream. Though. Exactly. Not, that's not me. My mom took me. She's lovely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have stuff that I should throw away, but I can't quite bring myself to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you say to people that have that stuff? Like I, I worked as a magazine writer for a lot of my, and I have all these old magazines from that era. Some of my pieces in, and some I just had because I would use them as reference. And it, fe- they feel like they should be valuable to somebody. Mm-hmm. Like maybe not me at this point, but it, you know, there's somebody out there that would love that copy of Us Weekly or whatever from 1998 or what. I don't know. I find that so interesting about all of the kind of tech stuff that we have and what I feel where the internet has failed us or someone hasn't really uh, put their thinking cap on about this, it should be easier to find people who need and want the different things that we have. The collector's market was able to do that really easily. Right. But it's so sad when you're like, I have this perfectly good thing and somebody should want it. I, people, I have a friend that's a lot more tech savvy than me and he'll see like, he'll throw out the name of three apps. Come and get it or yeah, get your stuff. or Like, I think there probably is and I just don't know what they are. There is, but it's sort of like, there's a lot of them. Yeah. There's little neighborhood groups and, and schools have their wish list. Yeah. I'm just saying like, and Craigslist, I know, but... There should be something that's so much easier, right? Localized, I don't know, but um, but that is a big stickler. That's that's one of the big things is when you are okay with parting with it if you know it's going to a good home. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it feels like there's you don't want it to just go to the landfill. That mm-hmm. that hurt. That feels bad. And one of the conversations I would have often with clients is. The story you're telling yourself is that this is going in the trash, but you actually don't know the journey that it's going on because the desk that I sat at and wrote my first book on, uh, was in a dumpster going across Caltech campus where my father worked. And he was like, Oh, I'll take that desktop. So it got out of the trash, became my desk. Like you don't know where it's going so I think there has to be another story around it yeah that makes you feel better because everything we a big tenant of the work I do now is around story yeah and it's like you're either telling yourself a story that makes you feel good or a story that makes you feel bad they're both bullshit fictional stories like so you might as well pick the good one yes because oh my god that's the story of my yeah adult career so what if it's like okay I'm going to bless these magazines and send them on their way. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to put them in the trash. You can put them somewhere where they might be found. You can put, you know, so you can be more creative in your leaving 
of them. That's cool. That's what I like, those little, like, libraries for the books, you know, yeah. on the street. But there's one by my house, and I think it's so... I love it. I love it, too. Um, what the, There was the movement a couple of years ago in the last year, the Spark Joy movement. Yes. If you hold something in your hand and it doesn't spark joy, get rid of it. What do you think of that sort of The reason that movement? exploded and just worldwide and people yeah. resonated, hit the zeitgeist, is because she presented a really good, accessible methodology of purging, which is the first step is like, yeah. okay, let's get rid of all the stuff you know you don't want, and then we can organize the stuff that you want. Yeah. So she let people in on the first step of organizing. Now, a lot of organizers were... <laughs> Oh, arranging from bitter, all the way from bitter to just disgruntled that the fact that this methodology... This is the one that blew up. Right. Because they know, absolutely valid, there's a lot of other issues involved. There's a lot of other things that as a professional organizer, you're really working with your clients on that this, that her method doesn't cover. She is an organizer and she can help you do the organizing, but her books are really about purging and finding a way to do that without needing the help of a professional. So she can get you like phase one yeah. done and then you might need somebody. Although if you only have like four spoons left, I know it's easier to <laughs> all organize that other, them. There's only four things that spark joy. <laughs> right. You're, you're all right. It, but, but it did sort of shine a spotlight on that whole yes, and an, industry or that whole idea. It did. And another reason I think that her... Uh, methodology resonated was because a lot of people anthropomorphize inanimate objects. And that's part of, I think what you were talking about was like, these are still good and I really would love someone else to enjoy them. That's slightly different than, oh, this glass is chipped and no one will love it as much as I'll love it. And I'm going to, they they embody objects with feelings and emotions and attachments and so with her whole idea of hold it hold it to your chest, does it spark joy, thank it for its service, she's dealing with the anthropomorphizing that people do. And I think that it worked for a lot of people because yeah. that is a problem. People well, for me, the magazines, that's when I got my start in writing. And that's when things were really, I was getting a lot of yeses. And that was an exciting time in my life. And it was kind of glamorous. And I, you know, and I think there's a part of me that's like, doesn't want to say goodbye to it in a way. Like I'm holding on to that that time. That's exactly bit. that is a physical representation yes. of something. A lot of times I a lot of a time when I was successful. Yes. However You got that look in your eye like <laughs> <laughs> the other story is this is a wonderful time in my life where I enjoyed a lot of success. And I'm gonna keep four of them. Or the ones that I have published articles in. Right. And let the rest go to make room for the new success. Because I can experience that again. In a different way. Yeah. So there's a make a making room for what you want to come in. And very often people's lives are really stuffed with stuff. And they're right. wondering why the new doesn't come in. Or the new relationship or whatever. It's like, yeah. where are they going to put their clothes? Yeah. If they move in. Um, okay, I lost my train of thought. That's all good. Making the transition from organizing to the kind of working with people and, and their lives and their goals and things like that, what was that shift like for you? Was it just sort of a gradual thing that felt natural? It was something that I hadn't planned at yeah. all. Um, I had a client who 
hired me to come and like systematize his office because he wanted to like streamline his administration and hire an assistant. But I knew him, and while we were talking, like you, all these ideas started coming right, right, in my right. head, and. Because I knew him, I was having this conversation with myself of like, but he's not, he didn't hire you to come here and like give him all these ideas. I felt I was going to overstep my bounds, but because I knew him, I took the risk and I said, okay, I just going to talk to you for a little bit. And if the stuff I start to say does, you know, I will totally go into your office and do what you said. But I basically laid out this whole thing of like, here's how you can redesign your business, reposition it, rebrand it so that you can elevate yourself in the industry as a teacher, he was already a huge performer, um, and make more and work less. And he's like, well, how do we do that? I want to do that with you. And I was like, what? Oh, you want to, Oh, um, yeah, Yeah, let me go home and I'll crunch some numbers. (laughs) I had no idea. So I was like, yeah, I'll send you a proposal. And I went home and called when I'm like, how do I call someone to advise me? I'm like, what do I do? What's a proposal? Like, and he hired me. And it was the scariest summer of my life because he did everything I said. And I was like, what if this doesn't work? Yeah, what if I'm full of shit? Yeah. And the scary scary on two levels. Level one is, um, well, that would suck because that would be super embarrassing if it doesn't work. Right. But the other level is if it doesn't work, that means my intuition is wrong. And then where will I be? Yeah. But it worked and he tripled his income in one year. And what, what was his business? He was a teacher. Oh, he was and, a voiceover. Okay, cool. Um, artist Pat Fraley. He was I love it. Big. One of the things that I picked up from you in this in the talk at the marketing uh, little seminar, and also I'm a big fan of Chris Jillabo, Chris Jillabo Side Hustle School. But both of both of you seem to have this thing of like just do the thing and then figure it out. In other words, don't wait till everything's perfect. And I want to have this. If you if you've got a a goal or a, you want to start a business, just find a way to do it. And then, and then figure it out. Then go home and figure out, oh, I, how do I do this? Right. I think, yes, I will speak exactly to that. But first I want to say that it's really important for people to know that a lot of times the way people do things or the way people talk about things, they're leading from how they are naturally wired and how their personality is. So just because your personality isn't the same in your wiring and the way you think about things and your natural instincts to do things aren't the same, there's nothing wrong with you. There's a way that we can find for you to do it in your natural flow, in your natural way. So just because you're like, but I'm scared, I just leap into the unknown. Right. For me, not a problem. Like I'm very Some much, people aren't leapers. Yeah. They're like, let me think about this for a hundred years and right. then get everything perfect. And everything is neutral. Leaping is neutral. Thinking about it for a hundred years is neutral. There's a light side to it and a dark side to it. There's a light side and a dark side to everything. So leaping can be like, whoa, okay, I didn't anticipate that Right on the dark side. But on the light side, it's like, yeah, you, you learn on the go and yeah. you usually get there faster. Yeah. You know, but, um. But yes, I, I heard about, this is before Google, I heard about professional organizing because I read a one page thing in a magazine about a guy who called himself professional organizer. And it was the first time I ever saw those words together and knew that it was a thing. At least one guy was doing it. So I'm like, well, one guy can do it. I can do it. Went home that night, printed out little business cards on my computer printer, cut them out by hand. Dot matrix. 
Uh, not quite. Not quite. But, you know. <laughs> I remember my first yeah. magazine story was Dot Matrix. I remember the, the having to tear the the. Oh, yeah, that was high school. Yeah, tear right. the um yep. sides off the paper. So and, you went home and printed out your own business cards. And then I just started telling everybody, yeah, I'm a professional organizer. <laughs> what was, and did you do you remember your first gig where somebody called the number on the card and said, "Come over and help me"? Well, I also I started through friends. Yeah. And what I wanted to make sure of, I had always been organizing. I'd organized my sister's room. Yeah. Uh, that was what a fun Saturday was for me, yeah. not for her, for me. And at every job that I had had, I'd literally had the thought, "God, I wish I could just organize everything and then leave." But no right. one would hire. You know, right. you can't you can't just do that. I want to get my hands on that closet of and then leave because once it's organized, yeah, you, all my jobs you get fly away like a superhero. And then I was bored because it's right. like, well, this is a well-run machine, yeah. And yeah, meaning anybody could run it now. Yeah, so I'm not interested in doing stuff everybody can do. Um, so the I was like, okay, I really believe I can do this, but I have to make sure I can do it for someone else so right. that they're satisfied. Not just I'm satisfied. And I think that that's a real demarcation of whether you're a professional really or not. Because you could be a great dresser but not be able to style someone who's not yourself. Right. Or you'll put your style on them. Right. And that's not how you serve someone. So I, you know, just started talking amongst my friends and I got a few bites from one of my good friends. And then my my boss who was employing me at the theater I was managing had me do some work at her house and I charged like $25 an hour just to see if I could do it and then once I knew I could do it I raised my rates and like okay this is working they're happy I'm happy and here's where the Actors Network changed my life because it was this huge well of people who knew me and then the founders were were totally willing because they picked me to lead you know the power groups they were totally willing on my behalf to be like yeah she's great i think you should try her and so i got a lot of clients from there right that's that's awesome word of mouth spread so i was very fortunate do you ever find yourself somewhere just casually and go oh i'd love to get my hands my hands on that pantry like at a friend's house or something like is there an occupational hazard to, to seeing projects or how something could be better everywhere you look um in the astrological chart, <laughs> um, people who think like that are usually like Virgos. They're very like, and I'm not. I'm not um, that. In in that, my approach because it was so based on the person. It was never about the stuff. Yeah. A lot of organizers, it's true, and and they will talk about like I had to take a cold shower because my client stopped working with me before the job was done, and it's right. like, that's. That's not about you. Like yeah. you should end whenever the client wants you to end because they're they're done. Right. Um, so I never walk into anybody's environment and I'm like, oh god, that's okay. <laughs> I just I literally don't think about it because you think about the person. Because if it's not a problem for you, then it's not a problem for me. And until someone engages me to organize. That's the only time where I'll start to be like, okay, but again, it's not what do I see that's wrong. It's like, so where... You really go through the person. I don't understand how else you... It won't stick unless you do it. Because you might walk in a room and go, well, we're definitely probably going to start on that bookcase. And that won't be at all where they're having their issue. The first thing I would ever do with clients is, 
even if they're like, I want you to work on this specific thing, I, no matter, I would say, so let introduce me to your space. And we'd walk around the entire house, garage. I wanted to see all the storage because it gave me so much information about how their brain was working. Right. How they were using things. And then if they wanted us to zero in, we'd be like, no problem. But it, and it, and sometimes they gloss over like, that's not even an issue for them. So it's like, okay, not an issue. And it doesn't bug me it doesn't, whatsoever. It doesn't I do stick not in your like pot. walk into houses and, and tilt the, yeah. Pictures? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that's not me. What's your favorite thing at the container store? Oh my god, the container store is my favorite thing at the container <laughs> store. Oh my god. Oh, I'll tell you my least favorite thing at the yes. container store is that I can't buy everything at right. the container store. Oh, so it serves it up. Oh. I, I, I think I've only been in it once. Yeah, it's definitely the mecca for like your high end things, and right. I own a few choice. What's great about the container store is when you want something specific, they usually have it. Right. And their stuff is good, so it's going to last. It's pricier, so it's not like I exclusively shop there for clients or anything um, because Target has good stuff and er er there's lots of places, so you want to kind of use your resources wisely. But, oh, (laughs) it's torture to, to not buy things there. And I'm not a buyer. Like, I, I, I prefer space over things. Right. But it's just, like, so useful and so... Yeah. They thought of everything. <laughs> well, they did. I love that it served it up. I thought your reaction yeah. might be, well, it's not really that good. Yeah, but it's it's a good place. Yeah, yeah. Talk about the how much work do you do with people on the thoughts that they have around what they're up to and their stories that they tell themselves and their mindsets and some of that kind of work. It's everything right it's just everything yeah we are literally creating our experience of life through the stories that we're telling ourselves and our life is a reflection of those stories and what's amazing is that you can change your life by changing yourself on the inside without your first your external circumstances changing everyone wants the external circumstances to change or that person to change or the job to change. It's like, but you can start changing on the inside and it's remarkable how much then starts changing in your outer life. So these days it's underneath everything I do. Cause I just think it's so fundamental. And if you really look at the coaches who, you know, have become experts at what they do, we're all saying the same thing. Yeah. It's all really mindset. Yeah. yeah. So, for example, say there's somebody out there like, I don't know, it's just some fictional person who feels that no matter how hard they work or how good they are at something, that there isn't really a road for them to be successful. Say, hypothetically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. might be thinking those kinds of thoughts where mm-hmm. they feel like it doesn't matter how hard I try or how good I am. It's not in the cards for me to be able to, uh, succeed or make a living or, or there's not a place for me to be, uh, mm-hmm. in the, in the world. My cousin, I, I'm asking for right. my cousin. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I get that. And I want to preface that by saying that is a conversation that I would guess every single person has. Yeah. I have that conversation. Right. It, in the realm of coaches, the conversation is like, why even bother? Yeah. This world is so 
noisy already. So yeah. why do I need to add my two cents? Is anybody even listening? To, will, will it matter? And, you know, when you get to be an expert coach, we're all really saying the same things in different ways, but it's core. Yeah. Um, it's just what we do for a living is help people apply it. Right. But the information is the same. So I had to come up. That is a very debilitating story. Well, and I think also based, you know, when you're in entertainment, there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of yes. things falling through and, you know. Yeah. And it's an it's a industry driven by fear. And that's its own kettle of fish. So yeah, I've done a lot of an, thinking around this stuff. And as lately. an actress, my story was very, like, I'm just so vanilla. I had lighter hair, and I just looked like a farm girl, and right. I, I just kept getting cast as, like, a mom. The last thing in the world I've ever wanted to be is a mom. So <laughs> to, to be, like, this wholesome mom, I'm like, okay, not... not. I have yeah. a dark streak a mile wide, Yeah, and... I was never going to... Yeah, uh, they obviously my, couldn't 20s, see your spirit animal in there. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trying to get out. The viper, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I had stories around, I'm so vanilla, there's a hundred of me, you know, who cares? And the, I, mean, I also want to make the point that these ideas aren't born out of nothing. No! They're, they're kind of a rational... <laughs> when you go to an audition and there's 12 of you <laughs> on the bench and you're yes, like, Yes, okay. it's not... <laughs> it makes sense that you would have these thoughts, but they don't serve you. No. And, and you, and you may like try to spin your thing, and and in a few, maybe in a month or two, it'll look different. But maybe it'll be four years, and it'll look. In other words, uh, whatever you, however you reckon with that, has to be kind of stealth because it's gonna get tried. Yes. I think. So there's there's two methods of wrestling, and it's a, it's a constant wrestle it gets less vigorous over the years as you apply these two things but it doesn't really go away because you can like invest in your story and then something happens and you're like i'm questioning right you go back in the tailspin right it's not that you won't go down in the dip but do you have the coping mechanisms to get you out as fast as possible so it's not a month resilience only a week yes or you know an hour yeah that's what we want right um so the first thing is you have to have, you don't have to have anything, but I highly recommend you have a story that you create that feels equally true. That's why affirmations don't really work. I am affirming that because your mind's just calling bullshit all over that. Right. You know? You, you, and also it's, it's something that's put on you. It doesn't feel connected to yeah. you. Whereas this feels like, okay, what's that other story? Yeah. There are other stories. Well, the one you're telling yourself that's making you feel miserable is yeah. just a story. Well, so, it's, it's like a multiplex, and there's the big, nice <laughs> yeah. theater with the nice chairs, and that's where your crappy story is. And then you yes. have this little tiny Beverly Center screen over here where you're showing the other the story. It's all sticky, and you're like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Totally. You need to switch theaters, right? So another story. And the story that I tell myself when I get into the why bother, which yeah. you can get, is, okay... So a person, life is sort of like Central Park. And when the sun's out and you're being guided, you can see your way through it. But when the sun goes down, you need other sources of light, people to help you. And so as a coach, I'm a lamppost. I've chosen this. That's another thing is I've chosen 
this, I'm not trapped in my own life, I've chosen, I'm a lamppost. And as one person, I can, you know, shine my light so bright. And a person, and different people at different times in their lives will walk into my light and it will help them see them themselves on their way. But then they will go on to another lamppost yeah. and another one. To get yourself through Central Park in the dark, you need a hundreds of lampposts. So it's right. okay that there's all these other coaches right there's plenty of people moving through central park right and my job is just to shine my light as bright as possible and not concern myself with anything beyond that circle of light yeah and that's a story that kind of get peels me off the floor and it's like okay i make it another day right so and it's a story that i that feels true yeah, it feels authentic. And so then I can send my mind out for to build proof for that story. Because the reason why your other story is in the big multiplex is your mind has been spending years sprucing that space. Oh, oh we're going to get plush chairs <laughs> this year. We're going to get a new audio sound so we can surround yeah. sound that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you have to send your mind out to start building a nice arena for your new story. Right. Meanwhile, when we get into ourselves of like, why does this bother? Or, you know, there's not a place for me. There's not a road. I have tried everything. Right. Literally, I have tried to let my light shine. And right. I just don't get the traction that some other people yeah. get. What's wrong with me? Yeah. And why should I even get up in the morning? Yeah. When we're down in the details telling ourselves that story in our life, the way that we're going to get out of that usually is we have to connect to a purpose on a higher level of what we're really doing this for. Right. And what, because the truth is your dreams may never come true for whatever reason. That's why it is the journey of it and not the destination. Cause the destination for some people is not going to come. Right. And I know that, viscerally and yeah and you know i've seen it so then if the destination doesn't ever come what is the meaning and purpose of why you're being called right to to cultivate your gifts and share them and that story also has to be unique to the person and something that you can that resonates with you yeah it's like I just had a gal in my mastermind group and you know, she has two children. They're young. And so she's just, she feels like her life is just sucking her in right. and her husband's career and stuff. And she's like, I feel like I've lost the career minded me. Right. And we were talking about the importance. She's lost the connection with why it's important that this mother of two here in LA amongst all these other creatives in LA fights for her career or invests in her career because the world needs more examples of that first of all right of of women not letting their lives suck them in right of carving out a space for the individual that she is before she's a wife before she's a mother but also future generations this creating your own life and figuring out how to make money on your own, that's going to be their life. These corporate jobs, they're yeah. not going to be there in the same way they are now. I mean, yeah. they're slipping through people's fingers already. So her making this work 
is showing her children how to make this work. Yeah. And so when she started to see her life from the bigger picture perspective, it helped reconnect to, okay. And I'm like, that's the story you have to tell yourself every day of why you're, it's important for you to get out of bed and why it's important for you to carve out three hours a week for your stuff. Right. But when we get disconnected from the bigger picture, it's just like... I know. Well, it's interesting you say the change that corporations and corporate jobs and things are going through. Like, I hit upon this idea for my side hustle, my, my life cast thing, probably in the spring. And I've been developing it. I'm launching it this weekend. And, and um, it used to be like if somebody was doing something on the side, it felt like a flight of fancy. Now it feels like a life raft. Now it feels like the smart thing to do to have something else because the point is you can't count on anything it seems like right and i think there's still because we're in a generation of like that wasn't the story told to us right no we we saw what it was like for people to work somewhere for their whole life and get a washing and even us creatives it's like you're gonna have a a life even better than your parents because they had a life better than their parents and their parents said oh no that's kind of stopped with i was like what yeah, huh? the record just scratched. Yeah, <laughs> our generation, and I'm in my mid 40s, so it's like, whoa. Okay, yeah, we're not done. Not. We're not. We can't retire yet. <laughs> no, we got to figure some shit out. Yeah. yeah, and these rules of what we need to retire and all this stuff. It's like that's rules from another past, but yeah. we don't yet know the road that the baby boomers are going to kind of carve out for us. And yeah, so it's. Uncharted territory, even though we're being told, nope, you need this much and you're going to die if you don't. It's like, yeah. okay, great. That's great. I feel awesome. Um, what was the question? I think we're good. Now, what did... Um, <laughs> you're so good. Like, never mind. Yeah, we're on now. It's all good. <laughs> your listeners you're, are you're, like, what? Wait. You're doing some, uh, some new work related to women. Yes. Specifically targeted to women. Tell me a little about that. Well, it was definitely... It wasn't planned... But it was thoughts that started coming into my head that I started to get a little obsessed about. As far as, with all the political turmoil, I think what really came up in a lot of women's lives is like, oh my God, one more thing for us to do. We're already doing so much, and now we have to fight for our gender right. and I change get history. Yeah, it's like, I don't knit. Yeah, um, exactly. So... Where do we get the capacity to do the things that are truly calling to us? Right. You don't fit that into the cracks of your life. Going back to organizing, like a lot of people thought, oh, I'll hire the help of an organizer and she'll kind of fit all the other stuff I want to do into the cracks of my life. And it's like, no, no, we're going to take all of that stuff off so you'll have room for it. Right. And... That's a lot of the work I do with clients. It's like, well, you want to make a shift that's going to require time, energy, and money. So we're going to need some of that to put toward the shift. And since you just don't have extra time, energy, and money sitting around, we're going to have to maybe plug some areas where it's leaking out. Right. And then redirect that energy. So that is how you create capacity. And in the where we are hemorrhaging a lot of our energy, we think about energy in terms of physical energy and vitality, but mental energy. Yeah. Telling ourselves the stories, you know, spinning, spinning, spinning. And so I'm very interested in plugging 
those mental energy leaks. Yeah. And so I'm having, I decided to have a series of discussions with women on the topics that I have found to be the biggest mental energy leaks for women in the hopes that by offering them some new perspectives around that, they'll be able to let go of a lot of the busy work that women have been saddled with in their lives and question some of the beliefs that they've kind of just had on autopilot right? so that they can make more conscious choices, edit their lives, and create this capacity to actually do what they're being called to do. That's awesome. So is it going to be discussion groups? Is it going to be writings? I decided to do a series of... Right. For lack of a better word, it's kind of like podcast episodes, recorded right. conversations that are edited and with my narration in there as well. And there'll be seven of those. It's just a limited series. And this has been a very organic kind of, it wasn't, for the first time in my life, it wasn't like, okay, what do I want to do? Let's see. I'll do this. It, it just started to come to me and I followed the breadcrumbs. Right. So I did one recording and I was like, oh, on being of service, because that's a huge energy leak. I was like, oh no, I want to have more of these. This should be a series. So then I'm, I'm like four deep in recording those. And it's just something that I really want to talk about. So I'm just going to start talking about it. It's, it's definitely overlaps with what I've been doing as a change strategist anyway, but it's sort of shining a spotlight and going, Hey ladies, who wants to have this discussion? Cause I think it's really important and I think it'd be really helpful. Well, especially now Mm -hmm. it seems like. A lot of people, a lot of bad actors are being called out, finally. Horrible monster people. And it's like, we, it's like as a culture, especially women have said, enough. No more. Um, how does this moment in time um, reflect or, or resonate with what you're, you're up to with, with this new uh, program? Well, I think that courage takes a lot of energy. Yeah. And I think we're being called on to be more not, and I'm not just speaking from like the female centric, anyone who's marginalized. And this isn't starting now because I think that that is a big, uh, discussion point and valid discussion point of like, Oh, you're just waking up to what we've been doing for years. No, it's been festering. But here's the thing about the white women waking up part is that it took this to wake us up. And now that a lot of us are awakening, we have to do a quick restructuring if we want to actually do anything about this and and contribute. Um, Because it will, if we don't restructure our lives to have the capacity to do this, we will start burning out. And then you have less soldiers on the field. Right. We want to, I don't like war analogies, but that just popped out of my mouth. So there you, there you go. go. Um, so, and that applies really to, to everyone. I just am a woman. So right. I'm speaking and I just know that there's the way women are marginalized in the society as a gender is a lot of the busy work of life is what we're was what's put on our shoulders. Just generationally, it's just trickled down. Right. There's certain things that it's just assumed that the woman's going to do in any sort of 
yeah. planning, family, and, and get together. The belief systems of be a good girl, don't rock the boat. Right. Da, da, da. And we cannot have that in place anymore. This this world of being courageous and pushing back require is going to require energy. Yeah. Whatever way, and I'm not prescribing the way people should integrate this into their life as far as what you should be doing out in the world, that's that's where you should be called to, as Howard Thurman says, just whatever makes you come alive, go and do that. Right. It's going to show up in different ways for different people. But if you want to contribute and help push back at this moment of time, you got to get rid of some of this other stuff. Yeah. It's no longer serving and it's unnecessary. What do you think about social media in terms of, I, I saw somebody speak and they compared like scrolling on Facebook to playing a slot machine emotionally. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I know as a marketer, there's lots of great ways that, that could be used, but if you're just looking through, there's, there's a really good chance something's going to make you feel crummy about your life or look how well they're doing or talking about sort of the time and energy suck factor of it. And I'm sure a lot of your clients probably talk about these issues. Yeah. Social media is a great kind of microcosm in which to talk about the macrocosm of just consciousness and unconsciousness. So conscious choice and unconscious choice. And social media, not talking about it as a marketing tool. Right. But the, the companies behind the creation of social media, it is to keep people unconscious. Right. And, and just reactionary and, and just zoning out. And it's true that the comparison, it's not, it's not a happy factory. It's not a happy it's factory. It's not a happy factory. <laughs> People are putting up happy pictures, but the cumulative effect is not happiness. Right. And whether it's through unhappiness through comparison or unhappiness through just listening to the bitching yeah. or the, the just these non-conversations between people who will not be changing their mind anytime soon or this is a Russian robot, you know, like, right. So the use of it, the consuming of it. Yeah. The perfect, the consuming of it, it has to be consciously consumed rather than unconsciously consumed. Now, if you're like, I'm going on Facebook because I'm, I need to numb out. That's a conscious choice to numb out. Right. But if you're looking at one thing and then it's an two hours later and you didn't intend that. Right. That's when it's stealing. Oh, and look who got a show thrilled for them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. If you can't genuinely be thrilled, don't be looking. Yeah. Don't be scrolling necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, That's so interesting. And I think you can use it as a tool for what you need to do in your business without being a huge consumer of yeah. it. Yeah. You can you can you can use it in a way that serves you. Yeah. Um you have these fun golden nuggets that you um offer people. Uh there's a few posted online and then others you get once a week, right? Yeah. One I love that resonated is how to take a compliment. Mm, that, that took me a couple of years to learn. I thought it was really <laughs> smart. And your your point is that it's not it's only like say fifty percent about you. The other Part of it is this person's wanting to express something. And if you don't, if you shut it down in some way or dismiss it, it makes them feel crummy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge perspective shift. Right. And that's really what I deal in. I deal in, in perspective shifts. Look at it this way. There's not just one way to look at anything. Um, but that particular piece of wisdom is something my life coach taught me. 
and I am paying it forward and passing that on because I was a big sort of deflector. Yeah. Oh, it's nothing. Gracious deflector. Yeah. Oh, this whole thing. Yeah. You know. Like, you know, or yeah, always sort of like, oh, I like your shirt. It was six dollars. That it's like, don't worry, it's not that big of a deal. I want right. to make you feel comfortable right. and me feel comfortable in my discomfort of you. Yeah. Right. Ridiculous. Um, but when she explained that it's there was something going on with the other person in that right. moment that I was squelching, then right. it was like changed my life. Yeah. In that respect. So what do you, you just say? Thank you. Yeah. You just be present and say thank yous presently. Not like, yeah. cause, cause you can say thank you in a dismissive way. Yeah. Dismissive way, I should say, or a self-deflecting way. Oh, thank you. You know, but yeah. thank you. And that's all you have to say. And you have to practice doing it. I've listened to several episodes of Dennis Anyone. Oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. You're great. And uh, I listened to four, and literally in two of them, you two people talked about take the water. Yeah. Just take the water. And that... In the, in the office. Yeah. yeah when you go into like a Hollywood water, meeting. Yeah. Because it shows that you know you're there and, and take yeah. the cold water. Yeah. Um, but that what that's really about is A, practicing receiving... But also, um, oh gosh, this happens sometimes. I lose my train of thought, but I'm going to get it again. Because what were we just, okay, taking the compliment. And oh my God. Yeah, this makes me a great interview. No, it's all good. It's, <laughs> we're alive. It's happening. It's it in the is. moment. Um, oh, the taking of, okay. Well, so for me, that tugging of the water is like saying that you belong there. That you, that you are worthy to be there and that, uh. You know, there's something about me that's like, oh, well, I'll just park on the street. I don't need you yeah. to valet. My taking of the water. Oh, that's what parking. I was going to say is that it is a practice. You have to practice doing it. You have to remind yourself, take the water. Because yeah. you, if your natural instinct is to say, oh, no, 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 no. So if your natural instinct is deflect compliments, yeah. you're going to have to practice taking them. And it will right. feel for you awkward because it's not natural. That was my point is that practice it. It's okay to practice my taking the water story i realized that i ha- i wouldn't accept anything i was trying to get better at receiving and when people start looking at receiving and how they're blocking it very often they're looking at one thing like money or a relationship if you want to receive anything you have to practice receiving everything because it's all that flow. And if you're blocking the flow in one area, you're going to be blocking the flow everywhere. So I realized that I had this little story of like, nope, I want to be seen as self-sufficient. Like, I don't need anything. So I would walk into a client, usually organizing. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, do you need water? I'm like, nope, got my water bottle, whatever. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I don't need anything I'm self-contained. Yep, got yeah. it. You yeah. don't need to think about me. But when I'd leave my water bottle in the car or forget it entirely, and they'd be like, oh, do you want a drink of water? I'd be like, no. And I would be thirsty. And be like, no. And then you're like, I already said no. So now I can't like ask for water. That would be my story. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And then I realized that even when I was working at my desk, I was so like workaholic-y that I'd be like, oh, I'm thirsty. And I wouldn't get up to get myself. I was not caring for myself. I wasn't, you know, receiving and giving to myself. So I started the practice of like, anytime any client ever Offered Offer me anything, I said yes. Even if I had a water bottle full by my side, I'd be like, yes, I'll take because I had to practice. Yeah. But also, I, I put myself in the shoes of the person offering. Like, if mm-hmm. you came to my... And it feels 
yeah. good to be able to, it, fe- it feels like you're building a rapport, a give and take. I want you to take the water. I think people want you to take the water. They do want you to take the water. Of yeah. course, it feels good. And yes. you're denying them the moment of that feel yeah. good feeling. It's interesting. Yeah. What's the golden nugget that you sent out that got the most sort of mm-hmm. reaction or, I don't know, that, you, that people bring up a lot? There's 84 of them. Oh my gosh, that's and amazing. So, what's, and what's hard to, to answer that question is they go out to different people at different, in different orders at oh, different okay. times, depending on when they've signed up. So, I'll get responses like it's kind of, all over yeah, the place. It's not that everyone's it wasn't getting like, one at well, one time. that one hit. And yeah, because yeah. I don't look at my analytics. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I, don't I like know. the one you did about the difference between a vacation and a trip. Oh, uh, that's, yeah, people do. That, yeah. that does stick with people. Yeah. Also, I think the one about the, the talent is not an obligation. That one too. Yeah. These are the three that, that I saw that are on your website. Right. Because, um, I think those are, those must be, I chose those three cause I think they are the ones that the people, people responded yeah. to the most. Yeah. Because just because you can do something and do something super well, like you could have a career as of this, but you don't really want to, doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because yeah. you have gifts doesn't mean they're obligations. Right. No matter what your mom or dad or anybody says. And that, I think, pulling those two things apart and seeing them as distinct things, an obligation versus a talent, once you can separate them, it's easier to be like, right, I don't have to do I don't this. have to do that. Even if everyone is literally yes. telling you you've got to do that. You're yeah. so good at that. And you're like, eh. Yeah. And so the way, well, the way Barbara Streisand always acted about singing, like, like every time she sang, it was like as though somebody asked her for a ride to the airport. And that, I used to resent that, but I, I need to let her off the hook. Maybe she don't feel like it. She wanted to be an actress. Yeah. Maybe she wants to, you know, decorate her house. And she just happened to be a awesome singer yeah her goal was to be an actress and she just used the singing my my sister just told me she listened to an interview with barbara streisand recently on alec baldwin's podcast and barbara like ordered lunch for them during the podcast so alec baldwin had to be eating on audio i'm like barbara it's an audio thing my favorite story about that and i don't know (laughs) if this is even true but my old roommate had um a friend of his was like temping at a bank or whatever uh, or an investment firm, and 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 Barbara Streisand and James Brolin, their person called and said um, they're going to be coming in to talk about their whatever, and they would like uh, this kind of a salad with um, cherry tomatoes, not the other. Like they ordered lunch, and she's like, "We don't even have a kitchen," but like I think they probably think you can get food anywhere. Like of they have they the, do. the best profiteroles rolls of Planned Parenthood that you've ever tasted in your life. <laughs> Like, I just love the idea of like, <laughs> I hope that's true. I don't know if it's true, but I think for, I think it is. It, it, here's another funny story. I, um, I worked on fashion police for, uh, for several years and, um, with Joan Rivers and that was really a great experience. And, um, I pitched a joke with those restaurant sensors that they give you when you're to hold, when your yeah, table's ready, yeah. like a cheesecake factory. <laughs> Uh, the idea was George Clooney had just broken up with Stacey Keebler, the, the wrestler. Yes. And the joke was, you know, I'm sad for her, but I'm glad because that means I move up a space on the list. <laughs> and Joan pulled out her thing like a Cheesecake Factory thing. And then all of the other panelists pulled one out too. So the joke was that they were all <laughs> on the list. And right before the com- went to break the commercial, the, the gay guys rang. 
lit up. It was, I was really proud of it. But Joan didn't know what it would be like to wait for a table or oh, what those wow. gadgets were. You know, she had to be explained what that what would happen if you went somewhere and had to uh, wait like a normal person. So. One of That's my funny. Um, favorite things, my sister and my favorite things are, well, we call them bubble people. Just right. people who live in a bubble who have no idea how the right. world works. Did you ever see Buyer and Seller, that show? I love that oh show. Oh my God, it was so good. I, I, the, <laughs> I had the playwright on this podcast. That's right, you did. Yeah, you yes. would like him if you haven't, if you haven't listened to it. No, I I, yeah, that. I love that show. Mm. Yeah, it's really it's fun. And what's funny. funny is so many young, so many of my gay actor friends have gotten to play that part. Like, mm. Like, it's like, given so many of my friends opportunities to do that, that role. And, and that was a great example. Jonathan said he wrote it to amuse his friends. Like he didn't think, see it as like, Oh, this is going to blow up for me or whatever. So I don't know how you can necessarily say, I'm going to write, I'm going to write something and it's going to blow. Right. I think it's so personal. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda was writing the Hamilton mixtape and he was just writing something. And it was, the director who is like, this is something you must now start writing this flesh it out. Right. But it took, there, there were several years in the beginning where there was, he was making like a song every so often. Right. You know, it didn't, he wasn't like, this is going to be Hamilton yeah. on Broadway. Um, yeah. And I just think it's, it's beautiful. I love the transition stories and, and the beginning, the origin stories of how things start. Love it. How does intuition play a role in what you do? <laughs> um, well, considering that the only degree or certification that I have is a BA in theater. Right. Um, my whole entire career has been out of piecing together. This feels right. This feels right. This feels right. I should go in this direction now. This It's all been following my intuition and just applying the natural, applying and honing the natural gifts that I have. I wasn't trained to be an organizer or a coach or anything. Um, I put in my 10,000 hours with the mastermind groups, um, listening. So I, I definitely honed skills into expertise, Right. but it's all been, and you could have knocked me over with a feather if you took like my 22 year old self and said, this is what your life is really going to look like. Right. Like, are you kidding me? I'm going to be an actor. Right. Yeah. What are the, (laughs) what are the most fulfilling parts of what you do? When are you like, Oh, great. The personal. Okay. So there's personal fulfillment and then there's, I mean, it's wonderful when you see the light bulb go on in somebody's eye. I mean, and, and they, see something from a different perspective because that could be a moment that starts a, a whole new chapter of their life really maybe maybe not what is personally most fulfilling and exciting for me is I sit down at a table across from sometimes someone I don't even know they've given me Sometimes a little, sometimes more than a little, uh, stuff of what's going on. But usually it's, you know, cursory. And I'm like, I hope I can help them. Right. Like, I don't feel like I, I'm now at the point where I'm 99% sure that I can. 
but I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't, I'm not running them through a seven step program of now we talk about this. Right. It's sort of like, they're going to tell me things and they're expecting me to tell them things back. Right. And when you, I get the downloads of the right thing at the right time and Oh, I didn't even think about this till it came out of my mouth. Right. Um, that is an amazingly fulfilling experience. And I cannot believe that I am was able to design a life where I get to have that experience a lot. That's pretty cool. I think it's like freaking a, cool. As a writer, it's like feeling, I don't know, that fit of inspiration or that thing. It's, it's yes. absolutely what you feel on stage when it's like, oh my God, this is going perfect. Or I, yeah. I ad lib this one thing or fix that moment. Or it is, that's why I think I don't miss acting because it is the same feeling of being, you know, in touch with a higher source. These ideas are not coming from me. Yeah. You know? Um, and another reason I don't miss acting is because a lot of the mastermind coaching that I do, it's just, I'm sitting there. Yeah. I show up and then people ask me questions. So it's like Im- someone said, you know what you do is like improv coaching because it's just there and I love it and it just activates my brain in such a way. And it's very, very much the same feeling as when you land a laugh on stage and yeah. the audience is with you because you can just tell the energy. And that's, I think, why having a performer's background and many coaches do, it's so helpful as a speaker and a coach is this ability to read the room and to bring them one way or bring them another way or bring them along with you, right? you know, and be yourself and be funny. I am so enjoying finally being able to be in my own skin comfortably and be myself. I'm not putting on an act. And as an actor in my twenties, um, I just wasn't in my own skin yet. So of course it didn't really worked. I made money. Commercials were good back then, but you know, it didn't go anywhere because I was playing the good girl, like as a professional, like I'll just sit and do good work and someone will notice me. Not how it works Um, (laughs) by the good girl syndrome. Yeah. And I just wasn't in my skin yet. And some people, that's not their problem. And they're in their skin from a young age. And you said, you sort of said, finally, when did you start to feel like, oh, this is, I think I'm, I'm, I'm there where I need to be and I'm feeling comfortable with myself or it wasn't really, it was certainly after I turned 40. Yeah. A lot of things, I experienced a lot of things and a lot of things came together. And I think that's a natural, if you do the work in your twenties, you will have certain benefits personally in your thirties, like internally, if you do your work in your thirties, the work on yourself, then your forties are going to be a certain way. And I'm hoping the work I'm doing in my forties are setting myself for my fifties to be really rich. You right. know? And so I just think I was at a place in the first half of my forties where I could let some things go and just realize that stuff isn't that important. And like what? Um, I used to be very fanatical about <laughs> how things looked. Um, not about being a perfectionist, but just, I wanted for a really great example. This sounds ridiculous, but so the wall that's here Mm -hmm. is blank. Not only is it blank in my dining room, but there's holes in the walls because those pictures over there used to be over here. Right. And then I moved the pictures over there and I'm 
working, I'm actually making the piece of art that's going to go here. It just takes a while because, you know, a workaholic doesn't have much time to, like, paint. Um, That's going to be cool. (laughs) Working on that. It's going to be great. I can't wait. But the old me would never have moved those pictures unless that other artwork was ready to go because how could I have someone in my house in a professional setting like you interviewing me staring at a wall with nail holes in it? Like I was going to say something. Uh, I, I mean, I could feel I almost... it. <laughs> but like the baseboards, everything just, everything needed to look a certain way. And I, it brought a lot of like stress and anxiety and like uh, ate up a lot of my energy. And certain things happened in the early part of my 40s where I just wasn't able to do that to the degree I was able to do it in my 30s. Yeah. And you had bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And so then that's when you realize it's not important. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, this has been blank for almost a year. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny because as much as I'm really excited about having it look pretty. Yeah. Because that still is very deeply satisfying. Right. (laughs) Every time I look at it, I do get a little of like I'm so proud of you Christine that's like a wall with nail holes in it and it's not physically bothering you and you have people in your house every single month yeah who are looking at that wall and it's not eating up your energy so for me it's almost like a little personal sign yeah it's a a signpost of how you've grown in that in that way and there's certain other things around the house where it's like it'll get done it'll it'll get done but it's okay um, we sort of hit this before, but, but what do you say to people that, that feel like giving up? I'm sure it varies from person to person. Yeah. Um, well, my first question, well, the first area of investigation that I'd want to look at is what do you feel like giving up? Because it actually might not be the total totality of your career or the thing it might be there's a part of it that i just can't because if we can change the texture of that part right then it can change the whole right so it's not all or nothing and the feeling of giving up i interpret that as okay that's a sign of probably a new chapter trying to start in your life right and there's resistance to it because there's fear and what does it mean i mean it took me 18 months to decide to go to my agents and take a hiatus from acting i couldn't even i took a hiatus because i couldn't make the decision to just stop it right it felt like oh it's not quite stopping it the door's still open right But I was so afraid because I had self-identified to everyone I know. And I'm from L.A., so all my high school friends, like everybody in my family, Christine's the actress. And to say that I was giving up acting for or moving boxes around, I just figured everyone would interpret that as failure. Yeah. Because to them, to the outside world, what's more glamorous than working in the industry? But I was in love with organizing. It was feeding me... And what else, what the other reason I chose, I thought I could build my acting career probably to like a B plus level, but I knew I could grow the organizing. And the thing about the organizing is I could wake up in the morning and run as fast as I could. And with acting, you're always waiting. You're like this thoroughbred behind the gates. Invite me to the party. And maybe you'll get to run a lap (laughs) once in a while. And that's just like so hard. And then when you watch the finished thing, they cut your lap. 
Yes. And then as you get older, you're like, but I'm even a better thoroughbred now. And they're like, yeah. nah, we got this little pony over here. You're like, yeah. fuck. Yeah. So it's a, it's a mind trip, that industry. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to run as fast as I could and use all my gifts. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. What was I saying? That's good. That was not the end of my thought. There was, that was another thought. Like a digression of my thought. People are going to be like, what? It's all good. My mind goes very... That's the dark side of yeah. my mind. Is it goes very fast and sometimes I can't keep up with the thoughts. Right. So I do lose my thoughts. Well, I think on that subject, it's... it's oh, giving up. That's what we were talking about. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I, 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 go ahead. I'm going <laughs> to right. say your so I was oh, So the example I was giving is that um, it took me a long time, 18 months, to, to make the decision to just to go on hiatus and try the organizing yeah. because I was so worried what people would think. Right. Um, I'm glad I did it. And the next time I did a shift, because I retired from professional organizing, and it was scary. Like, okay. But I felt it was time. And it was just sort of like, it took less time to make that decision. Yeah. And then I'm sure the next time I changed, it would take less time. So that's the good thing. Right. But often I think this idea of like, I just feel like I should give up. I interpret that as a dialogue that the universe wants to start with you. Because it may be that you're going to shift entirely into something new, but it also may be that there's just something in there that could be tweaked yeah. that would then revitalize the whole thing internally for you. Yeah. And then if it's internally revitalized, it'll be externally right. revitalized. So I think it's an important thing to pay attention to, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, it's, it's hanging in there until some, you know, it's, Something can happen, but it always feels like it's the outside thing that's going to happen. The phone's going to ring or the, you know, something that I don't feel like I have any control over. And what I'm really strategizing with people isn't about, isn't, I'd say, foremost, the external circumstances. Right. How do I get an agent? How do I do this? How do I, yeah. We can do all that, but let's, what I'm really primarily strategizing is about how do we create the texture of the life that you desire? Because you can be living the texture of the life you desire without all the things you think you need to have that texture. Externally. That's really interesting. Yeah. It yeah. changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you, if you have the texture of somebody who feels creative and invested and like a winner in a way, mm-hmm. uh, it, th- that doesn't, that feels like it has to be bestowed on you from outside. You're saying it doesn't. Oh, it a hundred percent doesn't. And it brings us full circle back to the power of a business on the side that you create. Because when that thing's going well and you're like, hot diggity dog. And the great thing about, especially what you're doing with LifeCast is you're going to start getting feedback from people about how wonderful you are and how great your work is and how much it impacted their family. And so you don't, it's going to be well, meaningful. I really do feel that. You need as much from the industry. Yeah. And then when you don't need the industry, that's when the industry wants they you anyway. You. Right. Yeah. But you'll show up as one of your guests, the the stash house. Oh, guest, the, the, the um, Tom, escape room. Tommy Tom, Haunton. Right. Good memory. He was, he was talking about how once they decided to do the stash house thing, they were showing up for their writing meetings fine because of whether or not the writing thing went they had this other thing that was equally compelling right. 
you totally show up different. I showed up different as an actress when I was like, oh, I can be here, but I got, I mean, my business is great. Yeah. So I'm good. I, I really do believe that I need to be able to tell entertainment, writing, show business, all of that. I don't need it. Yes. Uh, that That's kind of the, the, the lesson of this year or two or whatever. So, and um, you can't do that through an affirmation. I don't need it. I don't need it. You can't no, do you it gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have something where it's like, yeah, I really don't need, need it. it. Yes. And it's not just, I don't need it financially. It's, I don't need it for the praise. I don't need it for the contribution I'm making. Yeah. I don't need it for anything. I really want creative professionals to have all the stuff they get from the industry to be gravy. That should be the gravy part right. of your life. Get your income, get everything else yeah. solid, and then enjoy whatever gravy comes along. Well, it's that feeling of like uh, words winner and loser resonate for me a lot, you know. And um, I remember one time I went through a, a kind of a rough patch, that, whatever. But I ended up playing a game of Cards Against Humanity with friends over the holiday. And I won. And I won because I, I you know, there was some thought and skill or whatever. And it felt so foreign. It felt like mm-hmm. I didn't know how to... Ex- I didn't know how to process it or it felt like I would, I'd put on somebody else's coat at a party or something. It was weird. Anyway. And so the texture to bring into your life there would be, how do you start to feel? And I think your side business is going to contribute a lot towards this. I think so. How do you just start to feel like you are on top of the hill? Yeah. Yeah. I got this. I got I'm this. I'm a winner. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think it's... Okay. You picked some questions from the observation deck. Have you ever won anything like the lottery or a game show prize? <laughs> well, the, the thing that stands out when I read that is um, there was, you know, a concert for REM and you were, we were in line to buy tickets. But what they do is they put various wristbands right. on and then they just randomly call a number and, and then you everybody has a lineup behind that number. And I was the first number in line. They That's amazing. My, I, and I had, and the reason it was amazing is because I'd never really won anything before. I was right. like, I cannot believe that this I happened. this. And so you know, were able to buy your tickets first. Yeah. You were able to buy the best tickets. Yeah. And the show was great. Yeah. That was it. back in the day, kids, when you had yeah. to line up to buy tickets. I know, right? Before the internet. I remember 6 lining up for Olivia <laughs> Newton-John, and I would do it again right now if I could. Okay. Any memorable pranks you've played or endured? Okay. Um, this is slightly off of that question, but you talked about, I think it was with Tom again about he would do scavenger hunts Yeah, and that reminded me of this thing I did. So I was in a play and I think it was like in ninth grade and it was in Glendale center theater, which was our community theater, but in Los Angeles, your community theater is like really great (laughs) because it's Los Angeles. And I had a crush on this 16 year old who was in the play, and so after the play ended, every single month for a year, I would, with one of my mom's friends was helping with this, but I would deliver something to his school or his home from his secret admirer. Oh my goodness. So like, at Christmas time, it was five golden rings, so five donuts, I for. St. Patrick's Day, it was those little Baskin-Robin leprechaun ice yeah. cream things. For Valentine's Day, I sent a rose, had a del- one rose delivered to a school. Because I was... Now, the hilarious thing is by the time the year rolled around, I was over that. Like, yeah, my crush was gone, but I'm like, well, 
I was enjoying. Well, we almost made it the whole year. I might as well. Yeah. Oh, now yeah. it's Thanksgiving. I'm a I got, yeah. Let's. I finish where I start. <laughs> but, but also, it was sort of like, who gets this happening in their lives? Like, this must have been like maddening to him of like who's doing this and right. it added a lot of drama I'm sure to yeah. his life and he could talk about it with all his friends and um <laughs> I'm sure he was 100,000% disappointed <laughs> when he found out when I finally revealed hey yeah it was me it was just a phone call I'm like just want to let you know it was me all this time I'm sure he was crushed <laughs> not in a good way um but yeah but I did that and but you it did was, it I did it and it was the most elaborate and fun, bold kind of thing I ever did in that respect. Did, and did you ever see him again face to face? Nope. Wow. I never saw him face to face ever after the play ended. So I did this for a year and then never. Did you look him up on Facebook? No, I'm not on Facebook. Yeah. No. no. It was just a moment. It was just a moment. I love that though. <laughs> What's the worst job you ever had? Oh my God. So the summer between my freshman and sophomore year at college, I stayed on campus. I went to college in Oregon. I stayed on campus and worked in the like food services department. And so we had to like set up for every meal, take down after every meal. And then our college had like these events that would come during, and then we had to like waitress and waiter. But the most disgusting, ugh, you never want to see how food is prepared. You never want to know. But one of the grossest things was. So there'd be the salad bar and they'd have the little tubs of stuff and then they'd have this kale and the kale would be, you know, all before people ate kale, right? it would just be decoration. But after we'd have to like wash all the salad dressing drippings off of the kale so we could reuse the kale. The kale was being reused? (laughs) So we had to like wash it and dry it after each time. It was just like, and all the salad, everything would be so And if people weren't even eating it, it was just like decoration. Yes. So unnecessary. What I had never realized, I had, this was my first introduction to the fact that like when you work in an industrial kitchen, things are bought in large quantities. It's not your little Thousand Island salad dressing bottle. The tub of like salad dressings were so big. It was just like, and you uh. pour the bucket out back into the tub. It was just uh. like, oh, I don't want to ruin salad for me at that school for a while. Yeah. You had to re, you had to rediscover salad later. Mm. Oh, look what you picked. Any skinny dipping stories. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry, I don't actually have any skinny dipping stories, but right. there's only two things on my bucket list. One is to, and we're going to do this soon, is to go somewhere where I can really see the stars. Because I've, I've, I've been some places where, I, but never to where it's like, holy shit, that's the Milky Way. Like, yeah. I want to see that. So, like, Joshua Tree. But the other thing I have always wanted to do is I really want to be somewhere where it's very private and there's a pool and I can swim naked because I just think that must be a delicious feeling, but I need privacy. Yeah. So upscale hotel, like with the pool built into yeah. the room. Yeah. One of those things I'm waiting. Yeah. So yeah. Someday that'll <laughs> it's happen. on my bucket list, baby. On the star thing, something you might be interested in. I did this a few years ago for my birthday. Mount Wilson, you can book uh, an evening of um, astronomy. So you can, I had 25 people go up to Mount Wilson and we looked through the 600-foot telescope or whatever and somebody taught us what we were looking at and we looked at, you know, clusters. Uh, there were all these little terms and the moon and it was really oh, cool. wow. So I if you're into totally stargazing, yeah, it's really, it was really unique, yeah. 
Uh, describe your most unfortunate haircut. Oh my god, it wasn't a cut. It was a perm. Yeah, a lot of mar. Yeah, a lot of them are perms. <laughs> was, um, Home perm or in a salon? Oh, salon. Okay. Um, but it, my mom's friend from church had a beauty salon. But we're talking old school beauty salon where all mm-hmm. the old ladies sure. go to get their hair done once a week, kind of thing. And bless her heart, you know, she gave me my perm. And I'm, I just had, and I had kind of, I had straight hair, but it kind of has a kink to it. So right. you have to kind of like work it, but I didn't have curly hair. And you know, when women think curly hair, they think ringlets and right. like curls, not perms. Right. So it was just sort of like, what is on my head? It is a ball <laughs> of, and it was kind of this length, but right. just frizz for, and I just look back at my school photos and I'm like, oh, that is so whole. Horrible. What year would it have been, like, in school? It would have been, like, probably high school. Yeah. So it's probably, like, freshman year of high school. All right. We've all done... A lot of us have done it. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. What was your favorite or most memorable birthday? I picked that card because I'm not a big birthday party person. Right. Uh, I like to spend my birthdays alone. That's my favorite thing to do. Um, But I was turning 35... I, mean, I think my last birthday party was when I was 12. And so I was like, I'm feeling it. I feel like I want to just have a gathering something. of all my favorite. And it was all women. Yeah. I just decided. I have a lot of male friends. But it was like, let ladies get together. I had a friend from the Actors Network, Kevin Farrell, who was one of the leading Tupperware salespeople in the nation. He got like the Hawaii trip and the car and everything. Right. And he did it in drag. DIY. That was his persona and he had a song he had like it was like a show yeah and so everybody came and we had lunch and then he put on this show and it was hilarious and it was fun and people bought I was just sort of like don't buy me a gift just buy a piece of Tupperware for yourself yeah well, I didn't know this, but like if you're the hostess and you sell so much, you get, I got so much Tupperware. Yeah. Like I was like, I guess I'll have 14 of those and yeah. one of those. And I was giving it as wedding gifts for years. It's like, here's more Tupperware. But it was fun. And I said that day, I'm like, well, I probably won't. I think my next birthday will be 70. It'll be like 35. I'll mark 35. And then I'll, 35 years later, I'll have another party. There you go. Yeah. Something to look forward to. That's how I roll. Um, what movie have you seen more than any other? Psycho. Uh, Psycho? I, yeah, every single time that movie was on television in the 70s and 80s, and it was on a lot, I loved it. I, my Would you find out that it was going to be on, or would you research, or would you, did you? Yeah. Okay. TV Guide. We got to read the TV Guide every week to see what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it would be on, like, Saturday afternoons and stuff. Yeah. And, of course, it was, like, commercials in between. Of course. But you got the basics of the movie um i loved alfred hitchcock i loved from a very early age all things dark and scary well i read in one of your things that exorcist is one of your favorites is my favorite movie and it was so amazing because they played it for its anniversary on the big screen at the chinese theater in hollywood and i was just like i cannot believe i'm going to get to see this movie on a a movie screen because i'd only seen it yeah and and it was the director's cut so there was some other with reagan yeah and it was just like amazing i that movie is just i read the book too and i think my mother just like paced around my very religious mother paced around me she god bless her she let me 
read whatever. I never had nightmares as a kid. Yeah. And it wasn't like, I was just really curious about the, my favorite section in the library was the occult section, ghost stories and devil worship is like, what is this craziness? So I have a very big dark streak. Um, my second most watched movie yeah. is The Sound of Music. So, there you go. <laughs> you know, because this just on TV a lot. But I just loved Alfred Hitchcock and I, you know, read so much about him and his movies. And I cannot wait to see the new one about the just the shower scene in Psycho. I'm oh, yeah. Super excited about that. Um, Psycho. Psycho. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. so wild. Yeah. All right, so this has been super fun talking to you. Yeah, I'm glad. How can people learn more about what you do? It's all at christineoller.com, and my name yeah. is K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-O-L-L-E-R. Love it. Well, people should check you out, and, and uh, if you're in L.A., and yeah. get involved with what she's up to. whole bunch um, of free stuff. I love that. What? Here's my last question. What makes you feel hopeful for the future? But I feel like in your work, you kind of get a lay of the land or how people are in a general way, I would think, and how society changes. And part of because I think a lot of people feel not excited about the future. I have I have to be honest. I feel cleaved into a lot in my personal, just the way I'm wired and my personality and the things I think about. I feel very often like I have one foot in this world and one foot out. Like I'm like, eh, okay, I'm, I'm in it, but, eh, you know, certain things in my life have sort of given me that kind of ambivalence. And so it's very easy for me to be like, oh, what the hell? Why are we even doing this earth experiment thing? <laughs> right. This just seems ridiculous. This is not going well. This yes, is and I'm not, fine. This is not going to end well. And I'm fine if I have to leave. It's yeah. so funny. My um, my sister-in-law lives on a farm in Arlington, Oregon, which is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And when sure. the North Korea stuff was all, she was like, what? She literally emailed um, my husband. It's like, what's your nuclear plan? And I was like, my nuclear plan is to go outside and go, Right here. Yeah. Hit me right here. <laughs> the fallout from that, I don't want to be alive. I'm not a survivor. You will never find me in a bunker. Right. I'm not, like, fighting for this. Yeah. I'm mean, trying to enjoy it while I'm you here. Just, but you just hope to get struck down while you're in the container store. Dear God, <laughs> yes. Just right here. So that's my plan. So there's that part of me. Right. I relate to that. And I just have to kind of admit that. Yeah. But then I do have this part of me that is eternally optimistic about what can happen, what people are capable of. You know, I'm much more interested in individuals. I'm not a big, like, the world. I'm like, yeah. we'll I care make these about... societal changes or whatever. I care about you, you, Dennis. Right. And how your life is going for you. Right. Because I feel sort of that that's where I can make an impact. Yeah. Rather than the whole it's more man- It's more manageable. You can get your hands around it. Yeah. And go deeper. Yeah. But what does make me feel hopeful most days, more often than not, one is looking at the generations coming behind us and how they just think about people. It's like, I don't care what your sexuality is. I don't care what you look like. They're not hung up on that. Oh my God, that's amazing. So that's one thing. Yeah. The second thing is how quickly they are being introduced to the kind of self-help 
thought processes that we got earlier than our last generation. Yes. Yeah. I feel like I'm of the generation where it's the first generation where you can completely talk openly about it and no one's going to be like, you're granola and weird. Yeah. But they're a generation... First of all, granola is delicious. It is delicious. <laughs> and you don't have to wear makeup, which is a good thing about living in Portland. Yeah. The tire there is like, nobody cares. It was just fleece and don't get wet. <laughs> <laughs> LA is a little difficult. But, um, but the other thing is how quickly they're being introduced to these ideas. Yeah. Like some kids are even being grow- grown up with these ideas, which right. is amazing. Um, so that, you know, short attention spans and all, that's... Still, um, a good thing. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because I grew up in a small town in Arizona, and through my journey, I've I've worked with different coaches, I've done yoga, I've done therapy, like, and I grew up and I was, if I'm looking back at my childhood, looking up, nobody was working on themselves, like, like it was preposterous. Yeah. And what, and were they carrying around a lot of adult? unpleasant feelings and whatever or were things just going more smoothly or but but i i live now a life where that kind of attention is key it comes up and down and but but i've done a lot of different things and a lot of things have helped me and i grew up in a world where it didn't exist and that's you know it wasn't like oh my you know, my, my sister's going to be late to dinner because she's working on herself. Or I don't... It's That just doesn't happen. No. No. I mean, God bless Oprah Winfrey because she did introduce a lot of the... That's yes. why I first... It was on her show when I was like around 24 is when she started to bring on, you know, self-help Your best life. Uh-huh your best, that's when that started. And I was like, these authors just rocked my world right you know so so i got it at like 24 the introduction but some of these kids because the internet and everything it's like wow so um and then the the third thing is that people can change in an instant people can change in a moment from thinking one way to thinking another way. I'm not saying they're going to, but the possibility exists. And I think that what heartens me most is more and more and more and more people are feeling called to add their voices to the choir of, we believe in this, we believe in love, we want to be this way in this world, we're trying our best. Right. It's... It's not that that hasn't always been there. It's just louder. Well, and also the contrast, I, you know, I mentioned I was in this entrepreneurial group and the first um, meeting, everyone went around and said what they were up to. And I thought, what remarkable people with positive, open hearts. And then you look at the leadership, the, the difference between the people that I meet and know and the people that are running the show, the, the 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 white hat and black hatness of that, you know, into the good versus evil. It just is never felt so pronounced. And I think the the the, the people are like, that's not who we are. Right. Yeah. It's a very old paradigm. Yeah. And what's happened? The thing about the Bush administration is it seemed to be the first administration where they were just open. They weren't really trying to hide what they were trying to do. Yeah. A little bit, but they were very audacious in their, yeah, that's what we're doing. We don't really give a shit. Yeah. And so 
it just gave this permission. And now we're seeing the the extreme of that, of just sort of like, yeah, we don't care. Yeah. And, but that has, that is what is causing this other seismic shift yeah. of people being like, wait. So it's always scary when we're in the middle of it. Yeah. If the Wizard of Oz ended in the middle of it, there's this child dying in a field of opiates. <laughs> it's like, what a horrible movie. I'm never going to let my children I think that happens in, in like, New Hampshire, according what? to President Trump. Right, what's yeah. the moral of this? Yeah. Um, so we're in the middle. Whenever, you know, the 70s, the 60s, there were assassinations going on. Yeah. It was like all this... For the first time, all this video footage of people being hosed. I mean, how, how traumatic when you were in the thick of it. Right. In the 70s, it's like there's no gas, you know, and there's the Vietnam War and all of our children are dying. I mean, in the middle of that, it was scary. The 80s was fucked up, drugs yeah. and the things. So whenever you're in the middle, whatever you're in the middle of. The it 90s was-, was wonderful and I have magazines in my garage to <laughs> prove it. Wait, what? Ooh, <laughs> Yeah, well, Kurt Cobain. Yeah. No, but you know what I mean. Um, So whenever you're in the middle of it, it's the scariest. Yeah. And this is what we're in the middle of now, and it seems fucking scary. But we got through that, and we got through that, and we got through that, and we got through that. And uh, this is the thing that uh, all the people living right now are getting through. I I don't know how the story's going to end. Right. I think the earth might just blow. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying yeah, that yeah. there's unicorns and rainbows, but it's sort of like, well, I'm here. Yeah. So I want to in- figure out how to enjoy it as much as possible. And being, you know, of Irish Catholic lineage, happiness is not one of our strongest suits. So that's something I definitely have to kind of work on in myself. Right. Um, but, uh, but what else is there to do? Right. You're either going to be a person who tells yourself stories that make you feel the doom and gloom more often than not? Or are you going to be a person who tells yourself stories that make you feel hopeful and resilient more often than not? I love that. That's a great way to end it. I'm, I'm going to pick B, the hopeful one. Yeah. Lucky in that answer, Alex. Me too. This has been really fun. Thank you for doing this. Go check out everything on Christine's website. And um, we'll, we'll do this again sometime. It was really fun. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Christine Aller. Check out her stuff on the web at christinealler.com. All right, so this happened. Um, several months ago, I did a podcast with a gentleman named Tommy Onton, who was opening up an escape room called Stash House. Well, I got to go try it out. It hasn't officially opened yet. They're still doing their sort of... Um, beta testing and, and finishing touches. And I think we were like the last phase of testing and then it's going to open soon. But anyway, um, a group of us went and then we were paired with another group and it was super cool. It was really fun. And I'd done a handful of escape rooms in the last couple of years. And this one had elements, types of features that I hadn't seen before. And I thought were, it was really, it was really cool. So I will let you know when it's officially open for folks, and maybe you can go check it out if you happen to be in L.A. The other thing is uh, happening is all of the year-end movies coming out, and I was able to see a couple of advanced screenings. I just came from a screening of The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro's new movie, 
with um, Sally Hawkins and uh, Richard Jenkins, who's wonderful. Anyway, it's gorgeous. It's wonderful. Um, it was so funny because um, I saw Clinton Loop there, a.k.a. Miss Coco Peru, and several years ago he did a show where Coco revealed that her fantasy man was actually the creature of the Black Lagoon, and at the end of the show this creature comes out from the stage, up from under the stage, and like carries her off. Uh, like Richard Gere in An Officer and a Gentleman. Well, anyway, Sally Hawkins has a kind of romance with this water creature in this movie. If you've seen the trailer, you've probably seen it. Long story short, Clinton was in the audience, and I really want to talk to him because I feel like that movie was made for that fantasy. And so, yeah, i got to hear what that was like. I also saw The Post, which is sensational. Meryl Streep, wow, she's fantastic. I know, that's a revelation. Uh, Tom Hanks, but it's really entertaining and it's really got this sense of urgency. It has a lot of humor. It's funnier than I thought it would be. And it's very, um, the feminism is, is really, uh, striking and powerful and fresh. It feels like, yes, finally. And it was this newcomer writer named Liz Hanna who was, uh, wrote it on spec based on the, the memoir by Catherine Graham and was hoping she might get an agent with it. And before you know it, Spielberg got it and it was being shot. So I got to see her speak at a QA and a and it was just really inspiring. Anyway, it's great. Go see it. It's, it's a winner. All right. That's all I have for you this week. Thanks for, uh, for hanging in there. It was a long episode. I know, but, um, there was lots of fun stuff to talk about. Anyway, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time on Dennis. Anyone. Bye. (laughs) 